This is a Color Pencil Podcast, session number 234. I've got a special treat for you today. This is part one of two, where I'm interviewing Julie Podolsky. I had to split this up because we went on and on and talked for nearly two hours. So <laughs> she covers a lot of great information, including, of course, her techniques, paper that she chooses, and the pencils and all the materials that she likes to use in creating her artwork. She also talks about being in galleries and her choices to not be a part of galleries as well. She discusses dealing with criticism and several other great gems, and you might be surprised by her answer to a couple of questions. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Sharpened Artist, a colored pencil podcast. Weekly discussions in and around this medium that we love so much. Hello, my name is John Middick. I am your host, and this is the Colored Pencil Podcast. I am joined today by Julie Podstolsky. I am so excited that she's on the podcast with me here today. Thank you, Julie, for joining me, and how are you? It's an absolute pleasure, and um, I'm rearing to go. Awesome. Yeah, I am so excited that you're here today. Um, I've been watching you for a while. I've seen some of your art online and I, it's very interesting. It's so different from most of the other colored pencil art that I've come across. And so I, I want to hear just sort of, um, you talk about uh, you know, we'll go backwards and we'll talk about your early years, but I want to know, like, why, why is your art so different? I mean, you do agree that it is very different from, so I'm talking about subject matter even, but even the style. Why do you think that? Why is it so different? And was that intentional? Um, well, I think perhaps it's because I come from oil painting. Ah. That, that could be one thing. So I trained, I went to university and did fine arts for three okay. years, and I majored in painting. So um, one thing that's interesting is I very often use a pencil like a paintbrush. I like to use it loosely. For instance, just as a starter, I'll put a full-length pencil into a pencil extender so it's paintbrush length. And use it, yes, use it in a very, very light way. So it's not, so I don't, I'm not necessarily making controlling marks. I'm making loose, uncontrolled marks. And I think that's one of the things that makes a difference. Are you doing it like an overhand kind of way? Like, are you holding the pencil on top of the pencil like this? Or Um, are you, are you like a paintbrush like that? Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. Yeah, okay. so there's a, a pencil in a pencil extender, and I'm often just holding it right at the end, so ah. it's as loose as anything, and sort of making these feathery sort of marks on the paper. Oh, that's so interesting. If you're listening to the podcast and you can't see that, that is fascinating. That is something uh, really very unexpected, I might say, because all of your marks looked extremely controlled. <laughs> and uh, you just did some movement with your wrist and hand there that did look like anything but very controlled. So, <laughs> OK, so I'm sure that the support you're using, the paper you're using and all of that make a big difference in that regard. But we're not going to talk about that right now. Let's go yeah. backwards and let's talk about your early beginnings uh, and what drew you to the medium. So you went to college and at university you were studying oil painting. Yes. So when did you start using colored pencil? Well, even at art school, I used colored pencil sometimes. Uh, okay. Um, but what the defining moment was in 1994 when I had my third daughter, Lucy, and I was a very frustrated new mother because I wanted to keep painting and the, you know, the baby would cry like, you know, she'd have her times when I could put her to bed and I think, right, now I'm getting out my paints. Sometimes I'd get as far as mixing color on the easel oh, and then gosh. she would cry and it's, you know, that's it, forget it. And it was so frustrating that um, somehow I had this little light bulb moment 
that said, well, you know, you used coloured pencils in the past, why not try coloured pencils? And I suggested it to my husband, Matthew, and he said, that's a great idea. So I went off to the shop and bought coloured pencils, and that's honestly what started it. Oh, wow. That is fascinating. So, so give me a, a time frame here. Like what, so what pencils were you using? What, what well, year was it? What pencils were you using then back then? Sure. This was 1994. Okay. Um, 25 years ago, cause my little girl was 25 now. Um, back then there was, um, Stabilo Schwann soft color. So these ah. were German pencils, which okay. have been discontinued for years. So I used those, and I also um, bought Derwent Artist Pencils. So they were my starting pencils. And then in 1997, I discovered Faber-Castell Polychromos. Okay. Uh, interestingly, I don't use any of these anymore. Um, they're you don't use Polychromos either? I don't, actually. Um, okay. Um, uh, I moved on to Luminance. Which of course, Karen Dash Luminance, they only came out in 2009. So. Yeah. Now they are, they're my main pencils. Well, why did you move away from, uh, the Polychromos line? I'm just curious about well, that. Well, I like them, but uh-huh. I've been using pencils for so long that I have learnt about fading colors. I learnt it, um, not just in theory, but in practice. Okay. So I have had certain colors practically disappear over the years. So I've become wow. more and more um, interested in light fastness. And, of right. course, the, the very first range of light fast pencils that came out were the luminance. So they became my number one pencil. And the, the Stabilo Swan, Schwann, it's actually Schwann, they faded Dreadfully, so it's probably no wonder that they went out of circulation. Yeah, um, and some of the polychromos faded as well. I'm talking about the the, the typically um, fugitive colors, like the pinks and the purples, things sure, like that. Sure, yeah. But you you got used to using all light, fast, luminance colors, and yes. there wasn't any reason, I guess, to go back to other colors. No. Right? Yeah. Um, I also, and then Derwent Lightfast came out last year. Yeah. I've been yeah. using those as well. And I like them, but I do find that if I use them in a very, with heavy pressure, right. I'll get um, wax bloom. Whereas, no matter how heavy the pressure is with luminance, I d- wax bloom doesn't seem to be a problem. So with the Derwent Lightfast, so you had to wait 25 years for those. <laughs> but with, <laughs> but with the Der, Derwent Lightfast, I mean, so you're talking about wax bloom where you're getting that grayish film, even yes, like, like what we got with Prismacolor Premier. Yes, that kind of that's really right. real yeah. wax bloom on that. Okay. Yeah, it's and, but it's only if I use very dark colors with right. with heavy pressure. So now I'm still enjoying using. The Derwent light fast, but not in that way. I, I don't, if I want heavy darks, I'll save that for the luminance. Luminance pencils. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I, I, I have noticed, uh, that there is some similarities there a little bit with, uh, with some of those dark colors. They do remind me, I'll put it that way, of the Prismacolor Premiere from yes. time to time. Yeah. Yes. So what, uh, what support are you using? And, and when you're, mostly doing most of your art nowadays what are you using and then tell me what you were using back there with lucy also i will like the paper um i i don't even remember what i started with okay because it's so long ago but fairly early on i found um a print a hot pressed print making paper italian it was made by magnani and it was called i actually can't even uh pronounce it but P-E-S-C-I-A, so perhaps Pesha, that's the Mm. way I Mm – and I used that for years, and then the company stopped making it. Ah. I think they went into liquidation, and it was – Oh, wow. uh, Yeah, 2015, and this company had been making paper for hundreds of years. Oh, wow. And suddenly I was left high and dry. 
I believe the company's been taken over and they're making paper again. But in the meantime, I found a watercolor paper, which is French. It's Archer's Aquarelle. Uh-huh. Hot okay. Mixed. Yeah. yeah Kenson make it, I think. Yeah. Um, so very similar to the that other paper no, you were using? Actually, no, it's Oh, sorry. Look, see. <laughs> no, you're fine. <laughs> um, it's not really similar. It's... One thing I liked about the um, Magnani, it was very, very white. And okay. I, I haven't found a paper that, that is that white since. But I, mm. I actually I went into a meltdown because I'm, I'm not much of an experimenter with supports. I just like to find my support. And find the one you like. Yeah. 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 So um, somehow or other, I, I found Archer's Aquarelle and – I, I like it more than the Magnani because the Magnani, the, the pressure, if you used it with a lot of pressure, you would get little bits flaking off eventually. So you had to be very careful. I feel that the Archer's Aquarelle is more, um, is stronger. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Okay. And I feel like I can, you can do more, use it and it mm-hmm. will let me. <laughs> oh, right, right. Yes. So you can abuse it a little bit, right? Yes, that's right. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Uh, so it, what what about the surface? So is it smoother than um, what you were using? It's just completely different. Okay. Um, it, you can build up more layers, it sounds like. Yeah, um, yes, I can. So it has got a little bit of tooth. Yeah, it's yeah. It's not absolutely smooth. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I have used that Arches Aquarelle paper. Uh, I did notice that it it does have. It's a very fine tooth, though. It's a very it fine is. tooth, and I like that as well. Yeah, that's cool. So most of your work, though, is done on that paper, huh? Now. It's entirely and entirely. This started, so from 2015 till now. I've been using the Archer's Aquarelle, and I actually like buying it in a block rather okay. than rather than the um, individual sheets right. because I like it to be absolutely without any waviness or yeah. faults. So when I get it off the block, it is perfectly flat, and that's what I like. What size are you typically working on? Um, I have all the sizes of the blocks. So um, I think is the biggest, the biggest, I suppose, is A2. And, of course, I work in centimeters and you're in inches. Yeah, yeah. So, and I'm but- trying, to, trying to remember what these, uh, <laughs> these translations are here for the A2. Yeah. I, I got to look it up here real quick. <laughs> well, well, my medium block, I think, is 16 by 20 inches. Yeah. But then a- I've got a bigger block again. Yeah, so an A2 uh, is 42 by 59.4. So right. in, in inches, that's 16.53 by 23 uh, and uh, 0.39. So uh, it's substantial. That's that's pretty large. Pretty large. Yeah, but they're not only some of them are large. So I okay. work from small to large, depending on how I feel. <laughs> so how small? How small do you go? Well, the one I'm doing right now. Oh, man, I'm so bad with numbers, John, that any question you ask me with numbers, I'll go, <laughs> oh, man, I don't know. Um, oh, no problem. I'm probably working on one that could be about um, 8 by 10 inches right now, something okay. like that. Okay. Is that the smallest then that you work on, or no, do you ever cut that down? I cut that down okay. and do a, some that are more like perhaps – Six by ten inches, but but not often. I don't often work that small. And if I do, they'll be the very out of focus, what I call my impressionistic sort of drawing. The real small ones are out of focus a little bit. Very often, yes. Why? Why do you do that? Um, because oh, sometimes I'll only be working from a tiny little bit of a photo. And so I'll blow up, uh, well, I'll enlarge this tiny bit, and then I won't want to make a great big huge drawing of it. It'll just be sort of an intimate. Sometimes it's nice oh. to have intimate-sized drawings. Oh, that's that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, taking photos purposely out of focus. Yeah, what, the oh, reason, yeah why do you, know, you do I, that? Yeah, I'm real I curious. That, about. I do that because 
I don't really want to be a photorealist. And I don't want to be bothered much of the time with tiny details. So I'll take a photo out of focus so that even the source that I'm working on looks more painterly than photographic. And sometimes when you take the details away, there's more of a feeling of just the poetry. Um, so, yes, it's a sort of it's a poetic move that I make so that I'm getting the atmosphere that I want without being bothered by details. I like that term, atmosphere. When I look at your pieces, that's what I'm seeing. I, I uh, the ones that are out of focus, I, I feel a mood. Um, I, I feel it. And, and I know there's details there. I know what I'm looking at without seeing it, you know, in full scope and full focus. I really love that. And if you guys are, if you're listening and you're not, you're not familiar with Julie's work, uh, be sure to head over to the show notes and we'll have her website linked up over there. I mean, this, this, um, you're talking about you don't like to get caught up on all the details, but I would challenge anyone to look at your work and try to imagine that it's not a photograph. I mean, when you're even the even the works that are out of focus, they look so much like a photograph. You're just capturing the essence of whatever that scene is, and I I think you convey whatever that is very very well. A lot of these street scenes are out of focus and uh, people walking and things like that, or you've got something that's sort of in focus. Uh, in the foreground here, but then the background's very out of focus. Sometimes it's not real out of focus, too, I've noticed. That's right. Sometimes... It's interesting. And now and then I do want to be sharp, you know, mm-hmm, so it's mm-hmm. not always out of focus. But I think another word is dreamlike. So yeah. when they are very out of focus, they become dreamlike. Mm, right. Mm-hmm. When I have exhibitions, some people, they're their favorites, and other people, it actually makes them quite angry. Funnily enough, they really react against them. Why what? would you do that? Yes. Really? That's what they say to me. Why? Why would you do that? Yeah, well, just explain to me why these are out of focus. We just don't get it. That's what I ask you, why they're out of focus. Um, I'm not angry about it, though. <laughs> they're they're really bothered by it, though. You, you're, you can tell, like, it's like... I don't like this kind of thing. Like they're yes. they're not intrigued. They're like they don't like it. They yes, have a reaction that's, that's negative. Oh. Yes, and one of my in my last exhibition, I had the great satisfaction. I had this lovely lady. She came to the opening and she told me that she was irritated by them. Actually, that was the word she used. And but then she came back later in the show. Um, over the two weeks because she wanted to understand and she ended up buying two of them. That's so funny. (laughs) Yeah, so that was really, it was humbling, but it was very fulfilling that somebody would take the trouble to try to understand and end up loving them. What did it for her? Did did she say? I mean, what what Um, was it? Well, we've just, we have ended up being friends and we've had a couple of coffees. She got to know you. She did, and I think that that was part of it, that just like you now, she was asking me to explain, but she wasn't um, hostile. So she really wanted to understand with an open mind. Interesting. Yeah, I kind of think back about, you know, when I was, oh, a a teenager, and I I thought I was the best thing at art. Um, about for about five minutes, I really did, and I th- and I would look at other kinds of art, and I would scoff at it. I would, you know, and I would not like it. You know, totally the opposite now from that. Uh, and I enjoy all kinds of art, but I think it's interesting because we all come with all these filters and these these things that barnacles, you know, and we're looking through our little narrow scope. And we only enjoy certain little things. And once we're just exposed sometimes to other types of media and we're exposed to other forms, other subjects, sizes even, but just 
you know, broaden that just a little bit. That's interesting. She was converted over <laughs> to yes. the point of even purchasing. That is just, yes. I love that story. That is so cool. Yeah, me too. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so how often do you do uh, exhibitions? I, I, I noticed you on your site there, you've got some solo shows that uh, were posted there. Yes, I um, have been exhibiting generally once every two years. But in the last couple of years, I actually had one exhibition per year, three years in a row. And so I'm having a little oh. break. Not, I'm not having a break from drawing because drawing's my favorite thing, but I want to go more like two and a half years. So because my last exhibition was September 2018, I would normally be having my next one September 2019, but I actually would like to push it so that um, it would be more like April. No, sorry. I meant my next exhibition would be 2020 normally in September. But I'm going to push it to sort of early 2021. 2021, yeah. Yeah. I got you. Yeah, I can can understand. I mean, there's probably a lot of ramp up to get prepared. What is that going to afford you? More time to draw what you want to draw, I guess, or what else? I'm actually, I've actually, um, I try to draw less. I try to, to make my life a little more balanced than it used to be. And I don't want to be pumping work out. So I've, I've slowed it right down so that, for instance, this year I've really only completed 12 drawings and I'm very happy about that, whereas perhaps a normal year I might do more like 20. Uh, 12, I think, is phenomenal for a lot of <laughs> colored pencil artists, myself included. How many hours a day are you drawing? Well, I never count. Okay. And I always think it's quite funny when I see posts that, you know, here's my drawing. It took me this many hours. And right, I always right. think to myself, if you're doing the thing that you're enjoying more than anything else, why, why are you would counting? you count? <laughs> yeah. So I draw every day, but I don't know how much. Um, yeah. I take regular breaks. So you like, can probably tell me how long it takes to do housework, I'm guessing. Ah, well, actually, <laughs> I, am, I am house proud. And, and part of the reason I am is because my house is a bit of a gallery, not just with my That's own awesome. work, but yeah. lots of different artists and lots of Very cool. objects. Yeah. And so I like I like nice. it to look good. I am house proud. I quite like doing housework too. Well, I pick something that I don't like to do. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to time those things, you know. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, very interesting. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, I, do tr- I probably would be at my – uh, my draftsman's table every day of the week, but it might only be a couple of hours. It might be five hours. You know, I never know. Okay. Mm. So on the, on the high end, you're thinking it's around five hours a day? Could be, yes. Okay. Uh, it okay. could be a couple of hours in the morning, and then sometimes I like to work again um, perhaps from three o'clock onwards. Um, I only work by – Day, proper daylight. I don't like using any lamps, so oh, okay. I have more time to draw in summer than in winter. Because in winter, by about three thirty or four, it's starting to get too dim. Right. So no artificial light at all. I really don't like artificial light. I feel that I can't see the colors properly, and that's the reason. Yeah. 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 We moved into a house that we had built in um, 2007, and we actually chose the block for my art. So the block, <laughs> it faces south. So if That's we're awesome. being in the southern hemisphere, we're yeah. opposite to you. Where right. you are, you would probably like north-facing light. Exactly. A, yes. That's well, exactly right. Yes. And I have my, my um, draftsman's table set up. Um, at a south-facing window, so I have all the beautiful light, but no actual sunlight. Right, right, right. Ah, oh, I'm I'm a little bit jealous right now. <laughs> and that that is hardcore. Uh, finding the street and house based on the lighting situation. That's it awesome. Is. I love that. Yes, but however, it was a new housing estate, so there were there were many many blocks to choose from. Hmm. 
So it wasn't as difficult as as you think. And because we were right. one of the first off off um, off the block, as they say, um, we had first choice. And my husband and I both said, "Yep, this one faces south. <laughs> it's on the corner. That's ours." Is he an artist also? He's not. He's actually he's an engineer. Okay. But he's very much into music as well. So ah, gotcha. music is his passion. You talked about balance in your life for the upcoming yes. year in 2020. What are you going to do? What What are you doing well, other than drawing? What I always do. I'm I'm a reader. Okay. Love to read, and I write. Like for instance, um, I I have a blog. I mean, I have my website, which is right. you know just a website. But what I'm proudest of is my blog because I like to play with words and you know compose. So every time. Um, I finish a drawing, I make a, a blog post, and I'll write something about it, which I hope will give people more insight into that individual work. So um, I do love to write. Um, I walk a lot. That's my main exercise. I'm a, I'm a type of person called a flaneur. I don't know if you, um, my French is no good, but some people, even Charles Dickens was a flaneur, and that is a person who walks and observes. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. And that's me. We travel quite a bit, and there's nothing I like more when I'm away than just walking in new cities and observing. In that case, I'll have my camera with me. I was going to ask that. Okay. Photographing, yes. And then my observations become my artworks. What camera do you use most of the time? I use a big, heavy camera that is always a burden. It's a burden unless I am inspired and then it's as light as a feather (laughs) right (laughs) it's a it's a nikon d7200 and the lens is a as 18 to 300 a nickel lens so it's a really good lens and that's all i need because i don't in the old days i used to have cameras where i changed lenses but I yeah. can't be bothered doing that anymore. Yeah. So you got a good walk around lens then. Yes, that's <laughs> right. And so I, always, you, I always think to myself, I'd like to get a much lighter camera, but I can't bear really <laughs> to give up on what this camera can do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's, yeah. That, that from time to time, I think maybe a cell phone will, will do me okay. And then I remember after taking a few <laughs> cell phone shots, like, no, that, that won't quite get it. I mean, once you're used to a better camera, it's hard to go back. Definitely. At art school in our first year, we had to learn about photography. That was a, one of the core subjects was photography. Really? And back then, we were actually um, printing our own photos in dark right. rooms. So right. I did learn sort of the elements of photography. So um, that was one of the requirements for art school was to have an SLR camera. You can see the influence. I mean, if somebody's doing representational work, I, I'll qualify it that way. But I think you can see the influence of um, good photography skills with uh, uh, you know, someone doing representational work. If they're not investing in learning about photography a little bit, you know, you have to know a little bit about it, then uh, you can, st- I can start to see that in their work. Um, yes. myself, uh, in my students, especially, I can start to, to notice that, you know, there's just certain things that they're just not picking up on. For instance, like exposure level and things mm-hmm. like that, contrast and, depth of field, those kinds of things. I mean, it does, it influences our work a lot. I mean, especially as realistic artists, you know, with even, um, the work that you're doing that is in focus, we'll, we'll move away from the out of focus stuff. I, I'm intrigued by that very much. I especially like the one I just saw the other day where some guy was uh, on a cell phone walking on a street. Oh, I just couldn't, I could not. I could not look away from that for a while. I was trying to figure out that was so, that looked just like a cell phone. That is amazing. But, but anyway, I wanted to switch back over though and talk about like some of these where you've got flowers, uh, and some plants, 
uh, or some motif with um, maybe different elements, structural elements in them, and then maybe some plants as well. Like on some of these pieces like that, what what is it that you're doing there? I mean, those are oh. different than the out-of-focus um, drawings. I have very few plants, actually, okay. because I'm, I'm not really generally uh, very interested in drawing plants or trees, and I'm not very good at it. I don't think I am. Well, I, I um, saw a few with flowers in them, and they're not the focal point uh, most of the yes. time, I've noticed. Um, but they are there. And to be real honest with you, when I'm looking at some of your work, I'm one, sometimes I'm wondering what the focal point is. And I've, I've thought about that. And I was looking at it and I'm like, why am I wondering that? I, I'm intrigued by this and I can't look away. So there is a focal point. There's, it's going on here. It's, it's happening because I'm liking what I'm seeing and I don't think about it still until I start thinking more in an academic way. And I'm thinking, where is the focal point? You know, so I don't know what, so what do you think about when you're figuring out the composition? I mean, what, what are, what's going through your thought process when you're figuring out what you're going to be doing? I'm looking, there's that word again. I'm looking for poetry. Okay. Sometimes I like photos that I've taken that are that have got a lot wrong with them, but I'll see some kind of potential for something that's going to excite me. It's hard to put that in words, though, isn't it? <laughs> you know what I mean? Just kind of you you know when you see it, right? You know when you feel it, I guess, and you're and you're thinking this this will convey. The poetry, to use your words? Yeah. Yes. Um, I have to um, fulfill myself. So I'm not thinking about other people. I'm trying not to. I'm trying not to think, would anybody buy that? You know, sometimes yeah. I do get that, that thought, and I just try and put that aside. Uh, so, look, I'm not even sure how to answer it, but it's it's just – Sometimes it's just a challenge. Just there's something, some essence in here that I'm yeah. feeling. Can I portray it? Oh, yeah. So it's a challenge. A ch- an emotional challenge. Emotional actually. challenge. Perhaps, um, because I'm usually drawing from places where I've been. Like for instance, right now I'm working on a series of Venice. In the past, I've worked on series of geisha in Kyoto. Um, I'm looking at beautiful things which are endangered. Both geisha are endangered because their numbers are shrinking every year. Venice is endangered by the rising waters. I must admit I worked on Paris, and thats I don't think that's really endangered. But... Um, there's some sort of deep spiritual aspect to those subjects to me, and I'm wanting to capture their their soul and their spirit. And so perhaps that's the challenge. You know, will this particular drawing fulfill that requirement to me? You have an emotional reaction to these places. Yes. How many? So how many photographs are you taking? And then you're thumbing through all this, and you're looking at them, and you're trying to figure out, okay, uh, this one will fulfill that need, that emotional need. How many yes. photographs are we talking about then? Well, um, it's never from one trip, right? So, for instance, with the subject of geisha, uh-huh. I've, I've been to Japan now 19 times and been in Kyoto and studied them and read lots of history about them and with Venice, I've had two trips now, where I it's, it's, so it's not an in and out trip. I'm staying there for a little while, just a, a few days each time, and okay. I have another trip booked for March for another week there. So yes, the response is very important. I'll just keep building yeah. more and more photos, and at the same time, studying the subject, studying the history. So yeah, and you're I'm, reading about it too. So you're, yes, that's your right. perception's changing over this yes. 
space of time as well. Yes. Is your husband going with you? Are you going? He is. He is. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. And well, that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, the, I went on the, my first trip to Venice in November 2018, and I persuaded Matthew. I said to him, "I have to go back." You know, because I'd already yeah. started drawing Venice after that. I have to go back, and I have to go back before it gets busy. In other words, while it's still late, late winter or early spring. Right. And he wasn't sure if he'd like it, but anyway, <laughs> it turns out he loved it. Oh, good. <laughs> and so, so then I've got two bodies of photographs to work from. I've got November, which was very brooding in November, and there was the aqua alta when it, you know, the tides get very high, uh-huh. and a sense of sort of danger, like we're going to uh-huh. be inundated. And then when I was there in spring, it was completely different. The, the tides were lower, the blackbirds were singing, and their their songs sort of echoed in the streets. Um, funnily enough, I've I've got more drawings so far from that broody winter trip. So I've got to keep going back, and I suppose it's a bit like a pearl. I'm building layer upon layer of response with these different trips. Then when I come back, I'm trying to recreate the feeling that I had when I was there. For instance, that that you talked about, the guy with the cell phone, you know, that was looking at his – that was – such a beautiful night. It was it was a sight. Well, I called it Silent Night. That's yeah. what I called that yeah. drawing. Um, you know, walking along in Venice at night, and the water, the black water in the canals, mm. just lapping, just mm. quietly lapping. And all there are, there's the odd footsteps. You know, and it's it's something that I want to capture and remember. And so when I come back, the wonderful thing is sometimes, you know, people come back from their trips and go, oh, bum, I'm home, you know, drats, I'm home, it's all over. When I come back, it's like it's just beginning. You get to live it again, yeah. Absolutely. You know, I felt that when you were saying that. I mean, I I really had chills because – (laughs) <laughs> that is how I felt. I mean, you 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 struck gold right there because that's how I felt looking at that. It felt very intimate when I when yeah. I'm looking at him. Do it. I didn't I didn't hear a lot of voices or anything like that, but I can hear the waves. I can hear that lapping of the water. You know, I mean, you 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 really conveyed that. I think in that that is thank you. That is so great. I'm really glad you used that word intimate because I think intimacy is a huge part of my practice. Mm-hmm. Do you get tired of your drawings before you're done? N- no, but sometimes, for instance, the last drawing that I've just completed, it was a big work and it was on the water. Isn't that funny? I only finished it last week. But oh, the, the really? main thing I, I want to say about it is I didn't know throughout the whole drawing if it was going to work. So it wasn't that I got tired of it so much as that there was a sense of doubt, and there were times I just wanted to give up on it. I thought, I don't think this is going to work, and I just wanted to rip it up because I do rip up drawings. I, I know. I've se- I saw that on yeah. your blog. So yeah. you guys have got to see this if, you, if you've if you not looked at this. She's got a category called failures, which I just – I could not believe you had a category called failures. That is so bold and brash. Yeah, very the, important. <laughs> well, some of the failures, I, I'm just ah, – it wasn't that long ago. I, I think I saw something and you said it, it was a failure. And I was just like, why is that a failure? I don't I don't know. It, it's something inside you. Um, you. You're the only judge of that, right? You, you yeah. know whether it's a success or not. But for those of us looking in, I mean, it's just like, wow, that – it did not seem like a failure, but you're not worried about the commercial aspect of the piece. You're worried about that emotional outlet. Yes. Which, which I love. Yes. And I'd like to say that failures are so important. And if, if I was never having failures, it would mean to me that I was formulaic. And I never want to be formulaic. I want to be pushing the boundaries, mm-hmm. and um, so failures are a good and essential part of mm. my practice. And it doesn't matter if I'm still drawing when I'm 85, mm-hmm. I'll still need to keep having failures. I really 
really love that. That's been my big, you know, soapbox for for a few years now is to get away from formulas anyway and to branch out on your own. That's what I try to teach. I love that so, so much. If I was doing the same thing all the time, I would be so bored that I wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I totally, totally get that. I really do. Um, so, so how long uh, did that real long piece take? That large piece take, rather. Well, it was probably only about three weeks of work, but in okay. between there was a trip to Japan. So oh. I started it, and then I went to Japan, and I came back and finished it. And there's a lot of sky, and a lot of a big area of lagoon so um in dark colors and that's quite a challenge with colored pencil yeah it is so actually that also brings me to using other materials with colored pencils yeah do you do that yeah and that drawing there's neo color you know current dash neo color yeah Neocolor 2, which is the water-soluble one, even though I don't use it with water, but that was the undercoat. Okay. And and not always. Sometimes I'll just do drawings that are 100% colored pencils, but if I'm doing large areas of one color, it's a really good idea for me to to have a base coat of either Neocolor or... Um, or Caran d'Ache Neo Pastel, or sometimes even Sennelia, which is French, mm-hmm. Sennelia mm-hmm. Oil Pastel. Right, use okay. That as well sometimes. And because all of these things are sort of, they're all compatible with colored pencils, so they're all kind of oily. Now, so, are, you, um, are you spraying those and then going on top with no, colored pencil? No, I never spray anything. I don't even own any spray. Okay. Um, so... I'm putting on a very light, light pressured coat gotcha. of Neo Pastel. It, 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 and don't even have to blend with it or anything because it's really just sort of mapping on the color. Um, all the blending happens with the pencil over the top, but it makes a surface, even though it's only light, it's so light and there's tons of paper, bits of paper, you know, showing through. Right, right. But it makes a surface that the colored pencil loves. It's like a marriage. It's a marriage in heaven. <laughs> it's so it's it's nicer to put the pencil over the top of neo color, especially if it's a large area of one color, than just to be putting it over blank paper. And it makes for a richer result. I don't know so, why. It's, it's so like this magic. so the light layer of that neo color, you're are you um sharpening that up to a, a sharp point? No. No, no okay. I'm not. It's but I, I it still is sort of at a point, you know, it's yeah. No, it's it's not a sharp point. So actually it can can be quite blunt, but once it gets down to being a horizontal, well then yeah. I do want to sort of make some sort of point on it. But, but it's a but that's light another enough. thing. That's uh-huh. another thing, John. I'm, I'm. You know, you sometimes see that colored pencil people must have really sharp points on their pencils at all yeah, times. Yeah, I'm, I'm that way. Yeah. Ah, well, I'm an advocate of the blunt pencil. The blunt pencil. Interesting. Yes. But you're getting, and you're still getting a whole bunch of layers built up when you're doing that. Yes. Well, your paper's fine. smooth though, so you're you're building layer upon layer. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, often my pencils are sharp, but I can use them for a long time when they're blunt as well. You're not burnishing either. You're not pressing really hard, are you? Well, sometimes I do. Okay. Sometimes. In fact, I'm working on – I'm actually working on a a picture from Rome just right right now. Um, It's the first Roman picture I've worked on, but it's because one of my recent drawings had a seagull in it, my Venice drawing. Okay. And that was called, um, I may have seen about to get it, an Italian dream. That's a drawing called an Italian dream. It's got Venice in the background. So it's the second to last drawing that I've completed. Um, So it's got this sort of dreamy Venice in the background. But right in the foreground 
is a sea, a sharp seagull um, because I'm on that little island of Lido looking across the water at Venice. Anyway, wow. I enjoyed drawing the seagull so much that I found a Roman seagull from my last trip. And again, this this one I'm working on, the seagull will be in focus, but I've got this large area of sky that's out of focus. I started with the neo color. Then I've been putting the colored pencils over the top, and I have used a Derwent blender stick to um, over, over that. Okay, uh, so in that one you did burnish a little bit. Yes, so sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, depending on how I feel. How you feel, okay. Yes. Interesting. Right. Interesting. Yes. So this sky, in this, this Roman sky, we're up on Palatine Hill, and there'd just been this enormous thunderstorm. And but the, the the rain had all of a sudden stopped. So I'm looking over Rome and but there's this very thundery sky. And I wanted this sky to be intense. So I have used a blender. A blender. Yes. Maybe a, a, a ten days or so before this drawing is finished. <laughs> oh wow! So yeah. you do work in oils, uh, right? You oh. oil pastels. Oil sometimes. pastels. Only, only ever really as an undercoat, though. Okay. Uh, okay. I was looking at um, a piece uh, from 2002. It looked like you said oil on canvas. Oh yes, you're and, right. Back so then. You- Back then, I was still I was alternating color okay. pencils with oil painting. Ah, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, but but actually, to t- I tried oil. The last time I tried oils was probably about two thousand and nine, and at that point, I said to myself, "Whatever skill I had, I think I've lost it." <laughs> <laughs> and and I didn't really. I wasn't enjoying myself. And I, I, after that, I actually gave my oil paints away because I think, you know, use it or lose it. So you do prefer a colored pencil, apparently. And so why? Why do, why do you, other than you feel like that um, you lost some skill level with oils, what, I mean, you, you could have picked that back up. I mean, what, I what is it that draws you to the medium? If you're I like the mixing the color right on the paper. So, just the um, immediacy of it? Sort I, of, exactly. Like I used to, you know, obviously, you know, you mix up your oil paints on a palette. Right. And um, um, and then you put them on with a brush. I just couldn't be bothered, bothered with the palette part of it. That was one of the things. I like yeah. to mix right on the paper. Um, and, of, of course, the control it, all my work used to – all my uh, first colored pencils were very controlled yeah, and, and tight, yeah. and I've loosened up over the years. So I don't think there's really anything that oils have that I can't achieve with colored pencil. Yeah. Yeah. I just love the process. It's a very – you get into this sort of zen state. Right. Um, oh, definitely. <laughs> yes. Yeah, definitely. You you like blending right there on the project that you're working on, on the drawing. Are you testing a lot, like prior to landing on your drawing? Are you doing color swatches? Are you no. putting out these big elaborate books that people put out of all the colors? of? Like they'll take the 150, uh, they'll put all these color swatches together. I mean, nothing wrong with that. I just never had the patience for it. No. Um, no, no, I don't okay. is the answer. And – Learn color theory. Learn the basics, for instance, about complementary colors. Because right. no amount of – if I want a rich blue, I can put on every blue in a, a set of 150 colored pencils, and I'm not going to get the blue I want until I hide in the mix the, the complement of blue, which is orange. Mm-hmm. So I'll – I'll lightly put some orange into my blue, blue sky, and mm-hmm. then I will get that intense sky that I want. And I, you wouldn't know that unless right. you'd learned, unless you'd gone to the trouble to learn a bit about color theory. I love that. That's very good advice. I mean, it elevates your pieces so much more when you use complementary colors that you can't, you can't get that richness and that lifelike 
um, look to it. And I would even say it's more even in, I mean, a digital representation of the physical piece is one thing, but seeing it in person, you can really see all those, those tiny nuances and all those layers. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's Very right. much so. And, and another thing, people sometimes, you know, when they're in the exhibition, they will say, how did you get those lamps to look so bright? Because yeah. in my Japanese work especially, there yeah. were a lot of lamps, Japanese right. lanterns, red lanterns. And the answer is, again, complementary color. If you want the most vibrant reds, you hide a bit of green in them. Mm-hmm. And then you put – and then perhaps that the surround of the, the lamp might be wood, might be sort of brown wood right. behind the lamp because a lot of Japanese tea houses, they're wooden. And you, you you look at it superficially and you go, oh, well, there's brown wood around that red <laughs> right. lamp. But then I will say, but do you know I have hidden green in that brown? And even though you're not looking and going, oh, look, there's green – there's green in there, and it right. is making that red redder. So if you want something to be really, really bright, you put a little bit of its complementary color around the outside of it. Mm, very good. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, yeah just intensifying it. Like yes. That. Do you yes. use a lot of black? I love black, but now this is, this is another thing. I – um. I love black, but it can be a little bit deadening. Yeah. Um, especially, well, it can be in colored pencils. It doesn't have to be. But right. last year, I had a visit to the Karen Dash factory in Geneva. And oh, wow. that has actually resulted, that's part, part of the result of that is, I got to know the fine arts manager, Eric Vetus. Okay. And he's uh-huh. the chemist, like he's the big guy. Oh who, wow! Who with his recipes makes yeah. all the colours. Oh wow! And That's so cool. Di- he was the one who showed my husband and I all around the factory. Oh and wow! And we've been in touch ever since, and he has developed some new luminance colours. And one thing I asked for, I uh, kept saying, "What coloured pencil people like?" Uh, almost blacks but richer than black so deep deep dark indigo sort of blues you know see i feel like uh derwent light fast they did that a little bit in some of their yes yes but we've got new colors coming out in june 2020 20 new colors added to the range and some of those i think will be these beautiful deep oh my goodness i'm so excited about that yes i am so excited (laughs) Ah, <laughs> uh, that that's good news. Eric sent me um, fifty little sample leads of of different colors, and he said, "Choose your favorites. Favorite, yeah. choose twenty. And it wasn't just me. He asked a couple of other artists. Yeah, yeah. So in the end, I don't know which ones will be in that twenty, but I'm sure there's going to be a couple of deep darks because I kept saying to him, "Oh, it's exciting. Deep dark. That's what we want. Yeah." <laughs> What about pink? Do we can we get a pink? Yes, I have got. <laughs> I know about pink. The okay. problem again is the light fastness. I know. So I, I know. chose a couple of sort of candy colored pinks because I I was looking for colors that aren't already there. Yeah. And then they all went off to America to be light fast tested, and okay. some of those pinks they just didn't make it, so they won't be in there. Because uh, pink is so difficult, and so is purple. Right. Right, so, right. Yeah. yeah, I would just like to get some more pinks and purples, you know. Yes. <laughs> One of these days. Yes. Mm. Oh, that is exciting. So June of 2020. Yes. Ah, They're going to be launched in Frankfurt in late January, but then they'll become available to buy in June. Okay. Okay. Wow. Yes. And right. I also, it was only a couple of days ago that I was um, given permission to announce this. By, oh, you know, very cool. Because I said to Eric, I'm busting to tell people yeah. this is happening. <laughs> so 
So he got back to me the next day and said, yeah, you're allowed to share it. (laughs) (laughs) That is so cool. So what what will we have? We'll have 92 pencils? Uh, No. um, uh, 94. 94. Okay. Yes. That's that's great, great news. If anybody is loves to draw, they want to learn not only about things like uh, color theory, but it's really, really great to know some art history because as long as you're making art, you're becoming part of that. Yeah. And as you said yourself, the more the different sorts of um, art that you um, – what's the word, became, uh, well, that you got to know. The yeah, more yeah. You expanded in your mind. Right, right. And and it's just it's just so good what? to to know what artists have been doing in the past. Yeah, what, but, you know, the pro, I, I, I totally agree. One of the difficulties that I've had with it, and maybe you can help me with this, and mm-hmm. surely there's somebody out there, certainly in the audience that is in the same category, but I get a little overwhelmed, and I, I try to, to read some things. I'm like, where do I start? And, yeah. it, you know, and I just get – I get a little overwhelmed when I try to learn more about art history, and I, I don't know where to start. What advice would you have? I didn't learn very much art history at art school. Most of it – Okay. I, you I've, picked up on your own. Exactly. And yeah. so I suppose – you could start with going to a major exhibition in your city. Yes. Yeah. Uh, unless you're in the country, the big art galleries have traveling shows. You know, for instance, right. um, here in Perth, one of the biggest exhibitions we ever had was in 2000. It's a long time ago, but it was an exhibition of Monet and Japan. Ah, so see, one little starting nice. point would be – you know, some major artist comes to your town. You don't just go to the exhibition, but you think, I'm going to read something about this as well. I'm going to go home. And, yeah, that'll you know, enrich your experience, so you could, right? Yeah. So you could start artist by artist. Or the other thing is, in, in my case, I was going to Italy for the first time in 2018, mm-hmm. never been there before. So I, need, I thought, well, I'm going, I need to learn something about Italian art. So I just started reading. Yeah, I, yeah. It was as simple as that. And at first, because we'd at art school, we'd learned a bit about 20th century art, but we'd never really gone into the Renaissance. And I knew that in Italy I'd be seeing work from the Renaissance, and it right. meant nothing to me. Like, uh, right. I'd look back and go, you know, oh, this religious art is so boring. But then once I started to read a little bit, or yeah. even – Watch documentaries. Right. You don't even have to read. Just there are heaps of documentaries out yeah. there. Have a little bit explained, and then you can start to. Oh, I appreciate that. I oh, yeah, remember. I, he- I heard that. Right. I read that. Now I see what they're talking about. So you can just find your way in. Maybe I'm doing it right because I am doing some of that. So <laughs> okay, yes. all right. I thought you had some golden nugget here that I haven't heard of, but no. just keep doing it is what you're really yes. saying, and that's probably the encouragement you're giving is is mm. just stay curious about it, right? Yes. And reading Absolutely. about it. Okay, yes. well, that, that makes sense. I mean. That that makes a lot of sense. One thing I, I do want to ask you about is, you know, you've had solo shows and I know a lot of uh, artists that I talk to and a lot of my students as well. They're very interested in going in that direction, approaching galleries and becoming part of maybe even a group show and things like that. The The problem, some of the problems that I've run into is that. Um, it's the medium, you know, it's, it's colored pencil. Yeah. What, what, what's been your experience with that sort of thing? Cause you've broken that barrier down a little bit, apparently. Yes. Um, there are galleries that will say not only it's, it's not even so much sometimes colored pencil. Some uh-huh. galleries, galleries will say, we don't like works on paper. Right. Or, right. Know, we don't like works under glass. Um, yeah, a lot of it is the paper, though. It really yes, is. Yeah, that's right. Other galleries have um, not had a problem with it at all. They, oh. It's the work. They don't care that it's colored pencil. It's the work that's uh, right. 
you know, what speaks to them. But look, I have gone through the dealer gallery experience and I've come out the other side. For, for one thing... All right, you might be thinking this is an odd place to stop the recording this time, but be sure and tune in next week and we'll conclude our conversation and we talk just about as long next week as well. This is a weekly show. If you've not checked out the monthly Sharpener, be sure to head on over to the show notes. The actual show notes are at sharpenedartist.com slash podcast. They're not on YouTube. Uh, they're not in several other places. They're on the website. So be sure and head over there and check out the show notes. I'll talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. All the show notes can be found at www.sharpenedartist.com.